So for our lesson today, we're going to continue the uh, topic of love. This is lesson three. And for, <clears throat> for this week and for next week, we're going to focus on 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is, is, is well known. Uh, it gets read at weddings all the time. And I, don't, I want you to appreciate the fact that that's not where it originally lived. It's appropriate for a wedding, but that's not where it comes from. This, in fact, is the word of God to a broken, hurting church. And it's asking all of us to take a look at love. Now, I also want to say this, and if, you, you know, if you're my friend on Facebook, uh, you, uh, you may already know this. I've fussed a lot with the, with the different English translations. So much so that I had to make my own. And, you know, I, I, I don't say that to be a, a smarty pants, and I don't say that to show off, because it's, it's really not. I got a lot of help doing that, and it's nothing to show off about. But one of the reasons I mention it, and I think this is important, is that some of our young people have told me that they really like this. They really like to see this translation work. They're really interested in Greek and Hebrew, and I'm going to encourage that. If the young people are interested in that and it makes them engage with God's Word, then so be it. And so if you wonder, you know, why is he doing this? You know, why can't he just read from the, uh, the, King, the King James or the NIV? Because I'm doing it for the kids, okay? So there. All right. Now, I will tell you going into this, and I want everybody to see this, one of my beefs is... That when love is described in 1 Corinthians 13, it's always described with a verb, with an action word. But what you often get in English are adjectives. Love is this, love is that. Reminds me of those creepy little cartoons with those naked kids that came out. It's one of the other things that the 1970s gave us were those little love is cartoons. If you've never seen those, stay away from it. All right. Let's take a look at the Word of God. Oh, my bad. 1 Corinthians 13. If I can speak in the languages of humankind and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I might have a prophecy and might know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I might have all faith so as to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Even if I should give away all my possessions and if I should surrender my body heroically for a good cause, but I do not have love, I have accomplished nothing. Love maintains patiently. Love acts kindly. It does not envy. Love does not gloat. Love does not puff up. It does not act indecently. It does not seek its own benefit it does not react irritably and does not dwell on harms. It does not rejoice in wrongs, but it rejoices with the truth. It covers all things. It trusts all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never comes to an end, but as for prophecies, they'll be set aside. As for angelic languages, they will stop. And as for knowledge, it will be set aside. It will be set aside because we know in part and we prophesy in part, 
But when the complete should arrive, the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I set aside childish things. For now, at this moment, we see things unclearly and hidden. But one day, we'll see things face to face. Right now, I know in part. But then, I'll fully know, just as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is God's Word. We uh, will come back to that next week and see that again. But I want you to notice some of what he's doing here. Rather than just a record of sentimental thoughts to be read in a romantic situation or a ceremony so that we can all say, aw, that's love and that's me and that's you. He starts out by saying, what is the problem if you don't have love? I mean, four other evangelists, John Paul, George, and Ringo, told us that all you need is love. But that's not the message here. The message here is, yes, so we condemn those evil prophets. And so the message here is, no, we don't. And uh, the message here is, if, um, if if you have all these other things, but you don't have love, love is what you need to make those things worth anything in the kingdom of God. Because if you do not have love, then what he's saying is all of the enthusiasm and excitement that you can drum up in worship, it's just noise if it doesn't have love. That we can keep pumping more energy and excitement and technology into our worship, and we can look for the worship that really gets us flying, but if we don't have love, it's just noise. Oh, likewise, change your worship preference, by the way. And so before you start condemning everybody else, it's like, yeah, that entertainment, that worship is just entertainment. We'll change it the other way. You can have the most serene and reverent, deep Bible study and call that worship. You can do it just exactly so. And if you don't have love, it's noise or empty silence. He's saying that if we don't have love, then all of our wisdom, all of our knowledge is in vain. But we love knowledge, we love wisdom. We love experts. When experts tell us something, we listen to it. We get disappointed when experts go wrong. We get disappointed when experts tell us what we don't know. We talk a lot about our own wisdom. I may not be able to translate Greek and Hebrew, preacher, but I know a few things and here's what I know. See, we like our knowledge. And actually, you may know a lot of things. I know a few things. Some of you are great experts on some incredible things. But if you have all of that wisdom, if you have all of that knowledge, if you have all that life experience and you don't have love, it's empty. It's meaningless. And then Paul says that even our good deeds. He said we can work so hard to serve other people. We can work so hard. We can sacrifice. But if we do it without love, we've accomplished nothing. So this passage starts out reminding us just how important love is 
in addition and over all these things. But what is love? What is it? I mean, what is this love that you're supposed to add to this? Well, love is not another spiritual gift. It's not a bit of knowledge. It's not a good deed to be measured. Because if we turn love into another one of these spiritual gifts or a thing that we do, then we can do just like the Corinthians and we can get into the contest of finding out who loves the most. We can play games where we say, I'm going to show to everybody that I love God more than anybody else. I'm going to show myself to be the kind of person who's much more compassionate and much more kind-hearted than everybody else. I'm going to prove to the world that I love everyone. And it just becomes another thing to rank yourself on. Love is not some piece of knowledge. It's not something that we know. It's not something that we can do more of. Love is a way of behaving in all things. That's why he ends this passage by saying, it does this in all things, it does this in all things, it does this. In everything that we encounter, love is a way of behaving and a philosophy. It's a way shaped by the gospel of Christ. So, love is what love does. Yeah. Just like Forrest Gump said, stupid is as stupid does. I think that's what his mama told him, right? Well, anyway, but love is as love does. Love is what love does. And that's why it's so important to see the verbs in that text. That love is not just an attitude i got to work on. Because how many times have we sat through lessons on 1 Corinthians 13, and we come out of it and we say, yeah, <clears throat> I really need to be more patient. I really need to be more patient. Because love is patient, so I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. That's an adjective that you're throwing on yourself. That's a descriptor that you're throwing on yourself. And you can keep measuring it and say, you know, today I was more patient than yesterday. But then you find out the next day you were a whole lot less patient than you were the day before. And then more than that, you have other people pointing it out to you. You're not being very patient. You're not being very patient. If you're not patient, then you're not loving We like to point out what everyone else is doing wrong, and we like our measuring sticks. But love is a way of behaving. It's what we do. When you look at what Paul says, and by the way, there's, there's sort of two categories here, right? Next week, we'll look at what love does not do. And I'm still calling this love is and love is not. But it's really what love does and what love does not do. Love maintains patiently. The word here is hard to translate into English. I mean, love not just is patient, it, and there's not a good word for this, it, love, patience. <laughs> we don't have a good verb for that. You know, there's old English words like it forbears, you know, uh, whatever that means. But it maintains patiently. You know, the word here has to do with the fact that even though you're being attacked, even though you're being insulted, even though you are being judged and mistreated, you maintain patiently, you endure it. Even though you're going through difficulties, even with other people like they were in Corinth, you maintain patiently. This is the attitude of Jesus when he was being attacked and ridiculed, treated unjustly, and he maintained patiently even though he could have retaliated. And he would have been justified in doing so. 
Love acts kindly. You know, kindness is one of those things that, that we can't quite completely social distance. We've done everything that we can to show kindness to others from a distance. And the stories of people being creative and doing things for people that they can't even visit with, of their loved ones who are in nursing homes, they're inspiring stories because that kindness represents a very human and a very real way of caring about one another. Love not just is kind, love kinds. And it rejoices with the truth. That's a comparison. The point that he says there is, he says, love rejoices when something good and something true is revealed. When we hear about something right and good in the world, in our life, in the life of others, when we hear about something true, even if that truth is difficult for us, we rejoice in it. The opposite, as we'll see next week, is that love doesn't rejoice when something bad happens. And isn't this an indicator of how much we are unloving when you realize that we have that little amount of glee because someone, something bad happens to someone and maybe it knocks them off their high horse? I don't want to get too much into next week. But when you go to the grocery store this week, if you go to the grocery store, everybody's getting it delivered now. But if you go to a grocery store and you, uh, and you walk through, well, actually, just turn on any of your tabloid news, and you will see entire magazines devoted to having a little bit of excitement over bad things that have happened to people we don't even know. It's always the Queen of England and her family. I don't understand. The Revolutionary War was 250 years ago, and we're still digging on the British royalty. Come on. Scandal in Buckingham Palace. Big deal. Love covers all things. You know, Scripture tells us that, that love covers over a multitude of sins. If we want to start detailing, and coming up with every list of every grievance about everyone around here will never end. But love covers over that. It, it, it takes care of things so that the friction, the tension, and the annoyances of everyday life are no longer there. Love trusts in all things. There's got to be some level of trust. At some point we've got to say, I can change and other people can change. Things can be different. Love hopes in all things. If there's, you know, one of the things that happens when relationships fall apart, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a parent and child relationship, one of the things that happens is we lose our creative ability to hope in a better situation. Have you ever thought about that? We, our brains become very, uh, you know, low-functioning uh, animal peanut brains at that point, and we 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 just we react to everything. You know, we see someone that we're in conflict with, and we think, "Here they go again! Here they go again!" And even their great gesture of kindness, we might just automatically turn it into something that we don't believe could be good at all. Love enables us to restore that creativity so that we can have hope again. Hope that things could be different. And love is the thing that's going to, you, know, you talk about endurance. We celebrate endurance. 
how fast you can run, how much you can lift. I mean, it wasn't enough for us to have marathons, you know? You get people to run, and I'm, I'm excited. I wish I could run like that, you know? I don't run very well at all. And, and I, I wish that, you know, I could do that. But marathons, isn't it exciting? I mean, everybody's got your number stickers, you know, your 13 point whatever and your 26 point whatever. Yay, marathon. But you know what? That's not enough. Some of us say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do a triathlon. You're going to run, you're going to swim, you're going to bicycle. I'm wondering why we've stopped at triathlon. Maybe, it, you know, I mean, maybe we need to keep going. I know there's a pentathlon and all that. But, you know, we, we love endurance. We celebrate endurance because we think if we can just keep going, then we're going to survive. We're going to make it. Love is the kind of endurance we really need to celebrate. Love is the kind of endurance that really matters. Because love is able to move through all the things that life throws at us. And it's able to endure and sustain and maintain. That's why Paul sends them this letter, this broken little church in Corinth. And he says, you know, you're looking for answers. You're looking for ways to get through this. You're looking for a judgment ruling. What you need is more love. You need to be loving. Love really is the way of maturity. If you're wondering, okay, I hear all that. It still sounds like a lot of adjectives. It sounds like a lot of things I've got to do. What it really is, is it's growing up. It's growing up and it's being mature. That's what that language is when he says, when the complete comes, the partial goes away. And we're always trying to find out what the complete is. Is the complete the full New Testament? That that means that when that comes, then we're no longer going to have to rely on tongue speakings? Nope. Nope. That's... That's not it, okay? He says that tongue speakings are going to just stop because you, you don't need them when you're mature. You don't, you don't need that. You know? And we can get it. That's another, that's another lesson for another time on 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. But his point is that what we are all moving towards is a kind of spiritual maturity, a sort of human maturity where we become more like Christ. And it's not unlike the physical maturity or the social maturity that we, re we realize. When, when children, remember he said, when I, when I was a child, I acted like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. You know what it's like to reason like a child? You come up with some crazy stuff, and I love it. And, and we need to stop celebrating it like it's always good, you know. I, I do. I, I appreciate children. But children believe some crazy things, and they should. When I was a kid, I thought I could be Batman. I really did. I thought, you know what, one day, I, I could do it. Find a cave, buy a car, utility belt, go around, beat up criminals. Yeah, why not? You know, I could do this. And, you know, but that's a child's reasoning. You know, give me a break. I was only 18. Anyway, <laughs> the, um, you, you put all that aside when you realize, okay, that's not mature. It was good to do that as a child. The problem is, is when you hang on to that childishness and you're in your 50s, you hang on to that childishness and even you're expected to be the adult. And a lot of the problems that we see in our own life and the life of others is that, is that people are behaving like children. And they have excuses for it. 
And they have labels and tags and identifiers for it. They try to justify it. He is saying that in our human experience and in our spiritual maturity, you can never fully rely on all of your insight, all of your enthusiasm, all of your knowledge, all of your ability. That's always going to be limited. And every time we're looking for a new preacher or eldership or group or technique to get us through another difficult time, we're ignoring the importance of becoming more like Jesus Christ, which is the standard of spiritual maturity. And what we learn is that as we become more like Christ and as we mature, when the complete comes, that's, our, that's a completion, a maturity, the end of this going from childhood to adulthood. When that comes and we grow up to be more like God, we realize that you know, it takes a mature person, a spiritually mature person to realize, I don't have to be right all the time. I I can rejoice when I'm wrong because it means I've learned the truth. That takes a very spiritually mature person to say that. I don't have to be better than everybody else. I don't have to be flawless. You know, we still have corporate thinking in this world. We still have political thinking that says you can never admit to anything wrong because if you are wrong, then you are flawed and no one will ever respect you. And when you grow up, you realize what garbage that is. Not only from others, but for you as well. You don't have to be better than everybody else. You don't have to be smarter than everybody else. You don't have to be affirmed, and you don't have to feel good all the time. You just have to grow up. And in Christ, we grow up to be more like Him. And that's what love is about. Um. If Brent will come up and lead us in this song, as we come around the Lord's Supper table, one of the things that we, we get invited to an adult meal, we get invited to a grown-up, a spiritually grown-up meal, where we recognize that we have been invited, and we are guests, and we are humble enough to appreciate that. Let's sing this song and then gather around the Lord's Supper table communion this morning. <laughs>